Welcome back to Misunderstood. This is Rachel Yucatel. I have a really exciting episode today. I'm here with former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, a man who took down the mafia, cleaned up New York City, and comforted not just me, but the entire nation with his presence and leadership following the attacks of September the 11th. It's an honor and a pleasure to welcome you to the well, show. Well, thank you, Rachel. Yes, it's a thank pleasure you for to be being with you. Here. I've wanted yeah. to meet you for 22 years now, but probably longer than right. that. But I, uh, I have always admired you, and you've been a huge part of my life. Not, not only because of September 11th, but I don't know if your team told you, but um, two days after September 11th, I went and got a dog to comfort me through my loss. And I, Andy was my fiancé, who I lost in September 11th, and he forbid me to get a dog. I got a dog anyway, but about a week before Andy died, the dog who we had only had for a month, he died of distemper. I bought him in a, in a pet store. I was devastated. And he said, okay, after we were going to Greece, he said, after our trip to Greece, we'll get a dog. We come home from Greece the next day is September 11th. So I had lost my dog. I lost my fiance. Where, where did he work? He worked at San O'Neill. Oh, okay. Um, so two days after September 11th, I went back to the pet store and I bought a dog who I named Rudy Giuliani. And I had, and this dog, I'm, I'm telling you, to be honest with you, was the only stable love of my life that I've had. He lasted 20, uh, nine, almost 20 years. Wow. Yes. And so I'm going to show you a picture because well, I think good. he's that's very handsome. He's a lot better looking than me. <laughs> Look at him. Oh my goodness. Now, yeah. what kind of dog is that? He's a Brussels griffin. Yeah. What a, Looked like very smart too. Oh, he was. You could see that. You could took see after that. you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm very honored. Yes, yes, of very, course. Very so, honest. anyways, I wanted to get into I love um, dogs. Yeah, I know you do. You have one, right? I had one. Had I don't one. have one right now. But okay. I have one. Okay. Um, so, I wanted to um, talk to you about your experience on September 11th because I feel like we obviously have that in common. We shared that day. I right. didn't know you, and we went through it together, but no, right. not knowing each other. Um, so I want to paint a picture for people that are listening right now sure. or watching of what was going on in the state of New York and, the, you know, in New York in general, in the world, Homeland Security, like give us a little bit of a, of a paint, painting of what, what life was like. Well, I mean, it was, um, it was the beginning of a new administration, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Clinton had had his eight years and then Bush won. So we were what sort of like about eight months, nine months into the into the uh, Bush administration. Mm -hmm. uh, things were re relatively pe certainly internationally, things were peaceful. Mm -hmm. They seemed to be, although Bin Laden had been causing a great deal of trouble. I don't know if we were paying a sufficient amount of attention to it. No, and he had declared war against us, okay. which uh, I guess we didn't take that seri as seriously as as we should. In the city, we were going through a renaissance. I mean, uh, we were on the cover of one magazine after another as uh, the city that had reclaimed itself, the mm -hmm. city had, uh, the city that had come back. Um, the crime was down to the lowest levels in decades. Right. We had gone from 1.2 million people on welfare to 500,000, mm -hmm. most of them working. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a city with a tremendous amount of optimism. Um, so I think that was a good thing because I think if we had been where we were when I first became mayor, depressed and 75% of the people wanted to leave the city like mm -hmm. they do now, mm -hmm. uh, we'd had a harder time like dealing with it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, from my point of view, I was near the end of my term. 
I was uh, uh, going to figure out what I did next after Labor Day, right? Um, <laughs> because um, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to spend time thinking too much or looking for a job while I was mayor. Mm. It creates enormous conflicts of one kind or another. Uh-huh. I had a few ideas of what I wanted to do. I had a contract to write a book, okay. uh, which was very substantial. I think it was a million and a half or two million dollars. Right. Um, so I wasn't worried about uh, supporting myself yeah. after I got out. But I also was interested in being, I wasn't going to retire. Mm-hmm. In fact, I thought I'd work even harder <laughs> right. when I left. And um, so it was about as peaceful as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. The night before it rained mm-hmm. really hard in New York. Mm-hmm. I remember it because it was um, a rain out of a Yankee game where uh-huh. Roger Clemens was going to try to win 20 games. Uh-huh. And I also um, went to a movie about Pee Wee Reese that night with Pee Wee Reese's widow and Jackie Robinson's widow. Wow. Because the next day we were going to raise money uh, to um, build a statue of them. And uh, went home. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning. It was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. And it was also primary day. Okay. So it was we were having our primary elections, Democratic Party, Republican Party, mm-hmm. to nominate uh, the candidates to run for mayor to succeed me. Mm-hmm. And the Democrat primary was kind of crowded. It was like four or five people. Mm-hmm. Republican primary were really two people, Mike Bloomberg and I can't remember who was running against him. But in in any event, I thought, okay, today is going to be a little bit of a lighter day in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I canceled my morning meeting that I usually had at eight in the morning, Mm -hmm. made it for the afternoon. And I went and had breakfast with a friend, um, Bill Simon, and with my counsel, Denny Young, because Bill wanted to run for governor of California. Mm -hmm. And he wanted my advice. And we went to the Peninsula Hotel. Okay. In Midtown? We had a terrific uh, breakfast. And then- what time was that? Well, I probably got there around a quarter to eight. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, uh, as it approached nine o'clock, one of my security people walked in and whispered to Denny Young. And Denny had a very strange expression on his face. And he said, Mayor, I think we're going to have to leave right away. There's been a, 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 there's a terrible fire down at the World Trade Center. Um, they think a twin engine plane hit the North Tower. Right. And it's a disaster. So I got up right away and said goodbye to Bill. He, for some reason, said, uh, God bless you, which seemed kind of ominous. Yeah. Although, because at that point, we didn't know how bad it was. Right, right. And the minute I got out, I looked up and I saw a beautiful sky. And I said, well, this was no accident. Ah. So now we have a crazy person or we have a terrorist, one or the other. Right. So I, I just want to say I was in Midtown also. I worked for Bloomberg News at the time. I was working on the assignment desk. Um, Mike Bloomberg was my boss. And I went into work at 5 a.m. And the thing you remember is how beautiful that yes. day was. Nope, not a, not, not, not a, not a cloud, cloud in the sky. In the sky. Yeah. yeah. And how warm it was and gorgeous. And also for regular people, it was the first day for a lot of people bringing their kids to school, which was why a lot of people were not in the building that day. Not, not as many as would have been. Oh. Um, so they were running late that morning. Um, but I went in at 5 a.m. I remember the the weather like you are talking about. And um, I was sitting on the, the newsroom floor um, listening to what was going on. We're, you know, doing the news of the day, doing our show. We had a live show. And next thing you know, I hear somebody say, the World Trade Center's on fire. And I remember, like you're talking about, 
the um, everybody assumed and thought and the news was reporting that it was a smaller plane, a guy who probably was out there, didn't know what he was doing right. and flew into uh, the North Tower. So sorry to interrupt you. But so go on. I got into my van. Mm-hmm. I, had a, man, I sat in the back with Denny and we started down quickly toward uh, the World Trade Center. I tried to I tried to reach and uh, re- I was able to reach a few of uh, police commissioner, my deputy mayor Joe Loda, and um, but before I did, I looked. I could see the tower, mm. and I could see a terrible fire, and it seemed to me it was worse than a twin engine plane. Yeah. Uh, immediately, uh, Jenny and I both thought this. I think this is worse, and I got a call. I can't remember the order in which I got them, but I got a call from my deputy mayor. Uh, Joe Loda, who told me it's a disaster down here. People are jumping out of buildings. Yeah. Um, and I actually thought he maybe was exaggerating a little. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe he was caught up in the emotion of it. The idea of people jumping out of the building was like yeah. very hard to take. Uh, and, and very hard to imagine of how awful things must have been for their choice to be to jump rather than right. stay where they were. Then the police commissioner, I talked to the police commissioner, and uh, we didn't know what it was, but we said we're going to assume it. Let's assume it's a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. You always assume the worst. We also had a trial going on uh, three blocks away from City Hall, about eight blocks away from the World Trade Center, of uh, uh, al-Qaeda terrorists. Mm. And that had resulted in my having to close down a number of blocks in the city. So we were being warned about attacks, right. not that kind of an attack, but attacks. Um, and we did know that if it was a terrorist attack, it was probably bin Laden right. because of the focus on that trial. Mm-hmm. But at that point, we still didn't know for sure it was a terrorist attack. And as we got about a mile away, very close, I saw a big, big explosion. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe it was a secondary explosion from the first one. Right. And Bernie, police commissioner, called me immediately and said, a second plane hit. It is definitely a terrorist attack. Right. I said, geez, we're at war. And he said, yep. Yeah. And um, I tried tried getting through to the White House, and I couldn't. So I said, Bernie, when I get there, let's set up a command post uh, right nearby, and uh, let's put in hard lines mm-hmm. because we need regular telephone lines. These, these uh, cell phones aren't working uh, efficiently, and we've got to talk to the president. He said, uh, we were, we've been able to get through, and um, I think we're going to have air cover pretty soon, but you, we've got to make sure. So I said, okay, well, you set up a command post, and I'll meet you, and we, we set the place we were going to meet, and then we, we have to, we'll have to go over to the fire department command post and make sure everything is coordinated. So I got there. 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. maybe less. And uh, they came up to me, they meaning my deputy mayor, Joe, Joe and Bernie, the police commissioner, the deputy police commissioner, uh, and a group of my staff. Mm-hmm. And Joe was the first to tell me again how terrible, how terrible it was and, um, and that uh, we were doing everything we can to clear, clear the area. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at this point, people didn't have the creativity is an awful word, but the creativity to even think that the towers could fall at this point. Or did you think that there was a chance that they might? You mean quickly? Yeah, no. quickly or no. at all. Oh, no, no, I thought they could fall. You did. Well, well, well not, not at that point. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen how ba- quite how bad it was. Right, right. 
Um, but by the time I left uh, the command post, the fire department, I knew I knew they were going to come down mm. at some point that day or later, but in stages, okay, not uh, implode. Mm -hmm. So I went to the fire department. I took the police commissioner with me. I could see that they were setting up a headquarters in a Merrill Lynch uh, uh, field office. Okay, they threw the people out. People seem very happy to get out. <laughs> and uh, and they were putting in these big trunks, these big hard lines. So I felt pretty secure that we were going to get through. And I said, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go see the fire chief because he's running this. Mm -hmm. And let's make sure he's got everything he needs. I'm so excited to tell you guys about our new sponsor, Green Chef. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that you can personalize to your own taste and lifestyle. I try to be very conscious of what I eat, and I love that everything in Green Chef is pre-proportioned for me without having to measure. And as the only keto meal kit, Green Chef makes sticking to a carb-conscious lifestyle so easy. I take my health very seriously, and I love it that Green Chef does as well, by bringing me seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. It's summertime, which means if you're like me, you're busier than ever with activities, kids at home, holidays. And what I love about Green Chef is that everything is done for you. All you have to do is throw it together and it's ready in literally less than 30 minutes. It's so fast. It's really going to save me time this summer with my crazy schedule and it will totally save you time. And not only that, the food is so good. I'm personally so excited to try the lemon basil caper pork with sauteed cauliflower, bell pepper, almonds, and feta cheese. It looks so good and healthy. And oh my gosh, I'm looking here at the fig and prosciutto pita pizza with feta, mozzarella, tomato, and kale salad with hazelnuts look like an amazing and super fast lunch option that even my daughter Wyatt is excited to try. I have to admit the cooking is not my favorite activity and not only that, I really suck at it, but I do love great food and actually I also love staying home. So Green Chef is going to be the best of both worlds for me. So give Green Chef a try today. Use our special discount code for a great deal. You're not gonna believe this. You get 60% off plus free shipping. So go to greenchef.com slash understood 60 and use code understood 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's all lowercase, by the way. And again, that's greenchef.com slash understood 60 and use code understood 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. So we walked about three blocks, and we got right below the the North Tower, and Chief Gancy was there with his – the fire department fights a fire uh, with the commander as close as he can get to getting a full view of the fire. Yeah. He has like a board, mm -hmm. uh, like a podium, and on that podium is a recreation of the fire. It's a, where he can move – his men around. Yeah. And he that's what he was doing. And he already had a lot of people in the building. So I said, when I got there, I looked up and I saw a guy jump. And I tell you, it was it was really a traumatic experience watching this person jump, watching him come all the way down. And um, I grabbed Bernie's arm and I said, Bernie, this is different than what, anything we faced before. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have a plan for this. We're just going to have to make the best decisions we can and then ask God to make them right. Right. And he said, well, at least we got a lot of experience. Yeah. And I said, oh, well, okay. And I've got a lot of experienced people. And I went up to the chief and I said to the chief, can we get helicopters up there? Because there were a lot of people up yeah. there. And the chief looked at me and he said it to me in a very interesting way. 
he said, I can't get my guys above the fire. Interesting. So I looked and I could see that there was a firewall. Yeah. And what he was saying is, I can get my people. And then he said, I can save everybody. No, no, I can save any, everybody below the fire. Okay. He was telling me in a euphemistic way, those people up there are dead. Wow. Wow. I don't, I, I don't, I didn't feel the impact of that until that night when I thought about it. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying was, those people are dead. Yeah. Now, I emotionally realized because I looked at them and I said, oh, my God, there's people going to die. Yeah. And he said, I, I can't put a helicopter up there to blow up. The flames are too inconsistent. Right. And he said a helicopter rescue for civilians is very, very hard anyway. Right. right. At that height. Mm-hmm. But it's really not in the cards given the flames that are coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it turns out they did save everybody below the fire. The, the 9-11 Commission said it was the most effective rescue so far in American history, mm. that they saved every person that was conceivably able to be saved. Interesting. So they saved everybody below the fire. Yeah. Luckily, they were able to get above the fire. The chief didn't know that, but a few areas they got above the fire, and they were able to get some people down. You mean climbing up through the Yeah, through the back, through the back and, stairs yeah. that weren't affected. But the reality is that 90% of the people above the fire died. Um, and probably even before the building, many of them, even before the building collapsed. From smoke inhalation? Smoke, mostly from smoke. Yeah. Because the smoke up there was incredible. Yeah. Um, pe- people on the roof maybe survived until the building came down. Yeah. Um, as soon as I finished with the fire uh, commissioner, I went back to the police department headquarters they had set up. Mm. And I asked to get the president. And I got uh, on the phone one of his assistants, who was a good friend of mine. And the first thing I asked him is, do we have air cover? And he said affirmative. And the minute he said that, he was not a military guy. And the minute he said affirmative, I said, oh, my goodness, we're, we're, already, into, we're already into military language, affirmative. Yeah. And it was a funny feeling. And he said, yeah, the vice president ordered uh, uh, fighters out to protect New York. They should be there by now. Yeah. I said, okay, well, thank God, because we, we don't want to, I said, how many, um, do we know how many more attacks there may be? Yeah. Or how many planes are out there or something like that? And he said, we've got about seven or eight that are still unaccounted for, that we're tracking and worried about. Right. I said, but at this was, point, had they shut down the airspace? Well, I asked him, yeah. I've heard rumors, I said, I heard rumors that they attacked the uh, uh, Sears Tower in Chicago. He said, no. Uh, the Pentagon? He said, yes. Okay. Uh, yes, they had already attacked the Pentagon mm-hmm. by the time this co- conversation uh, took place. I don't think the plane had come down yet in uh, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. But in any event, he said there were seven more planes unaccounted for, and therefore we should at least be ready for possible other attacks. What was your feeling when they told you another plane had hit elsewhere in Washington, D.C.? Well, my point my, that we're under attack and who knows what, what was going to happen. I mean, remember, until later in the day when it stabilized, uh, we were not just uh, work, working on trying to save people and mitigate, and we were working on, uh, this could be five more attacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could, it could be, uh, so the first thing we did originally is we closed down the bridges and tunnels mm-hmm. so nobody else would come in, so that w- whatever number of people we had in the city were frozen, Yeah, and then we tried to get them out. Sure, yeah. Uh, 
At the same time, we closed the bridges and tunnels because in the first World Trade Center attack, it had been planned in New Jersey. Yeah. And we particularly wanted nobody coming in from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, since that time, we had, we had infiltrated those mosques, mm-hmm. which became very controversial later, but I think it was a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. And we knew that they, we knew that they probably were not the cause of it because we knew everything going on in those mosques. Right. Uh, and they had gotten no intelligence about this, mm-hmm. so it ha- and and they were not connected to Al Qaeda, right? Um, and we were pretty certain it was Bin Laden mm-hmm. because of the trials there and because of the warnings we had. Uh, we had been warned on uh, at, during the Millennium celebration in the end of '99 mm-hmm. that there was going to be attack an attack at the uh, uh, New Year celebration, ah. and it, that was going to be from Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And um, as we got closer, the, the uh, intelligence turned out to be less and less reliable. Mm-hmm. And I did really consider canceling it, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And instead, we, we uh, for about two weeks, we did everything we could to make that area safe. safe yeah. we, went, um, we went below ground. I mean, there's a whole city in New York right below ground. Yeah. We uh, secured that on... New Year's Eve, there were police officers below ground, believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that nobody could get in there. And that night, when I walked up to press down the, 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 the button that brings down the, 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 the ball, yeah. which, by the way, is not really true. It, the, the, it comes down automatically and uh-huh. you press a button and you better get it right, otherwise <laughs> you look stupid. <laughs> right. and, but they try to make it look like mm-hmm. that. I probably don't trust a mayor to do it on time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I walked up that those steps, it was the only time in my life where I thought I might get shot hmm. because they had told us so much about um, attacks. I thought, boy, they just really can't protect you. Yeah. Now I I have had a lot of experience with protection. I was the associate attorney general when Ronald Reagan was shot. Mm-hmm. And I helped arrest Hinckley. And I helped to rearrange his security afterwards. Mm. Uh, so I was kind of an expert even on my own security. Yeah. Because I had done it for many, many other people. Right. And um, I'd been threatened numerous times. And it never, it never bothered me. Yeah. That was the one time I, look, I looked at the buildings. And I thought about, boy, all they had to do was put one person in there. It's a good shot. And right. I'm gone. Right. And it's I interesting. said, Secur- sorry, in- security is such an interesting thing. Homeland Security has a huge job that they have to get it right every time and be prepared every time. And terrorists only have to get it right once. And they don't. Most of the time they get it wrong. Mm. Think of all the terrorists we catch. Yeah, right. But when they get it right, it's devastating. It's, a de- it's devastating. Yeah. It's, li- it's like looking for a uh, it's, it's like looking for a little thimble in a in a big giant uh, bale of hay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, um, you know, the other thing strange about it, Rachel, after it happens, you can go back and find the things you should have looked at. Yeah. But they were buried. Right. And I've never, I've never been a second guesser about this, mm-hmm. except a few times where it was obvious. Mm-hmm. Some of the latest um, attacks that have taken place, uh, it seems to me something's wrong in our warning system mm. because you've had these people that are uh, mentally ill yeah. and they've threatened and they've been online. I think, so, I think particularly the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. 
that that guy had gone to Russia. Yeah. Uh, the FBI decided not to continue. Mm-hmm. But didn't turn it over to the local police. Right. I'd have gone crazy mm-hmm. when I was the mayor. If they did that to me. Right. If they if they had found this guy who was all involved with the Chechen rebels, uh, had just gone to Russia, but decided, oh, we don't have enough resources, and they didn't let the New York City Police Department know, that'd have been a revolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have gone crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes you have to do that. You have to stage that yeah. in government to get attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've gotten sloppy, but the reality is that one, when you found the things that warned about it, they were buried so far in the ground, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to say that anybody did anything wrong in not finding it out. Right, right. After the fact. And then the theories, the conspiracy theories about it disgust me. Yeah. What they are really you, disgust what me. It almost that? seems it's sacrilegious, you know. Mm-hmm. I know what happened. Everybody knows what happened. So they, you don't they, believe it was an inside job like some people? Like the CIA did it or some crazy yeah. thing like that? No, Bush did it. Bush did it. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. The poor man, you know, uh, I, I, I was with the man a lot during that four-week period. The man was ripped apart over it like yeah. I was. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and he did everything. There's not a damn thing we asked him for he didn't do for us. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was a... I once said that no matter what, <laughs> what, what happens with George Bush, just for the way he reacted after September 11, he'll be a great president. Yeah. And particularly by hitting them back so fast. Mm-hmm. We'd have gotten attacked again if he didn't. I mean, I know that's very controversial. Yeah. But particularly the Afghan war mm-hmm. was totally necessary to sock him in the, in the head yeah. because uh, Clinton had been too easy on him. Bin Laden uh, took out a, a, a naval ship. Uh, uh, other attacks, and we'd go bomb a field. Mm. We'd go bomb an empty field. You might as well tell them attack again. Right. And I remember as I was walking along, and this gets a little political, I told Bernie, thank God Gore didn't get elected. Because I figured if Gore got elected, he might, you know, yeah. he, he might give him the Nobel Peace Prize. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but he sure wouldn't hit him hard. Yeah. And I knew Bush, I knew Bush was a tough guy. Right. And that he would, uh, there'd be a hell of a reaction. Now, you can, you can start debating the uh, Iraq war and all that, but that immediate reaction, I think, was critical to our not being attacked again. Mm-hmm. And it also took out their resources. I mean, right. we, the, those, um, those soldiers who were on horses, and mm-hmm. those people are un- incredible. Right. You know, none, none of them knew how to ride horses. Yeah. <laughs> I met them. They came and brought me, and I, I too bad we're not at home, because I have at home a... Um, a a knife and a headdress of the first guy they killed. Wow. And they brought it to me with a plaque. And they said, I want you to take this for the people of the city. Wow. I really should give that to the museum. I think I will. Yes, that's amazing. So let's get back to the day of September 11th. What were your feelings when the first tower came down? And where were you exactly? I was in, after I finished with the fire department, Chief, I went back to the uh, headquarters, okay. the temporary headquarters we had set up. And what street was this on? So it was on, um, it was on Park Place mm-hmm. and Barrow. Okay. So um, it, we walked in. It, it, the police department remarkably had already transformed it. Mm. And they were all on the phone. And uh, it seemed to me as I walked in, so the White House is on the phone for you. So I went into one office. And it was this gentleman that I, that, I, that I mentioned who worked for the president. And uh, 
And I said, I'd like to talk to the president. And he said, um, for, oh, he said, he said, we're evacuating the White House and the vice president will call you back. Mm -hmm. So I had an image in my head that they were evacuating the president from the White House mm -hmm. when he said, I did not realize the president was in Florida and uh, speaking to children and, you know, what eventually yeah. was the case. So that was somewhat ominous when he said that. I thought, oh my God, the White House is being evacuated. Mm -hmm. He said, the vice president will call you back uh, very, very shortly. Mm -hmm. But you have uh, air protection. Uh, be alert to the fact that there could be other attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said, we're, we're anticipating ground attacks that they might have follow, they might follow this up. They might have people in the city mm. and other cities. My police department is right now securing 130 locations. So we, we, we kept a list of terrorist targets. Uh, this started, um, oh, even before the, the uh, 93, the 93 attack, mm -hmm. uh, and remember, I had been U.S. attorney right. before, which was very helpful because I was very familiar with the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Mm -hmm. I prosecuted their cases. So the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which is a great idea and started in New York, FBI, police department together, mm -hmm. sharing intelligence. We used, to, we used to use arrests of terrorists. And then we would go through or the FBI would go through their targets. Mm -hmm. And from that, we would create a uh, a list of their most, uh, 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 their priority targets mm -hmm. from one to about 130. And we kept changing it depending on who we arrested. Sure. So let's say we, we, we had, for example, uh, killed several terrorists in Brooklyn about a year earlier. So we took out of that building all kinds of plans. And based on those plans, and then whatever happened all around the country, which we would get, we would give that to the FBI. They would give us, we would come up with this list. And the number one target on the list was not the World Trade Center. It was the stock exchange. Mm. Uh, particularly, almost every terrorist that I ever was involved in arresting or got intelligence about, they had a great interest in our bridges and tunnels. Yeah. They had all kinds of plans for our bridges and tunnels. In fact, about a year earlier, we had killed a, a, a guy who had all of the plans for a, a, a subway connection in Brooklyn. And we shot him in the building he was in as he was going for the toggle switch to blow up the building. Oh, wow. Uh, so we had a lot of experience with terrorism, uh, but not this particular kind, yeah. kind of attack. Uh, as soon as I got off the phone, it seemed to me very quickly, uh, one of the policemen came in and said, the vice president, or maybe he said the White House, is on the other phone. So I walked over two offices. I picked up the phone with the White House secretary who said, Mayor Giuliani. I said, yes. He said, uh, Vice President Cheney will be on in one minute. I said, thank you. And I'm holding on to the phone. And I have my chief of my security detail, John Huvain, next to me. And all of a sudden, the desk starts to shake. It looks like an earthquake. I look outside, I hear yelling and screaming, people going on the desk. Mm -hmm. John takes me, the phone goes out, John takes me, and John was an Irish football player, so he's a big guy. He took me and he's try trying to put me down on the desk. And I said, I'm not going to that goddamn, I'm not going to that desk, <laughs> <Yeah>. bullshit. <laughs> I watched Patton, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so I stood up, 
I stood up and I said, what the hell happened? And all of a sudden, Chief Esposito, who is remarkable, I have I had remarkable people, remarkable guy. I just went to see him in the hospital. Chief Esposito yells out, the tower came down. Now, I thought, and so did John, and so did Bernie, the police commissioner. When he said the tower came down, he meant the tower On the at the top of yeah. the World Trade Center. I didn't think he meant the entire building. But all of a sudden, our building starts to shake like it's going to fall apart. And for about three minutes, I really thought we were going to get killed. I meant that it was just going to crash in on us because the building was. So we came out and we huddled together while this is going on. The building is shaking. You can hear noises. And did you have windows near you? Yeah, yeah. The the windows didn't break, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But you could see uh, outside very quickly a cloud that looked like an atomic explosion. It looked like what you would imagine Hiroshima or Nagasaki were like. And also, in a strange, a strange way, pretty soon, wasn't right away, it's like it was, um, it was almost like it was a wind pushing it through. It was like moving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we try to decide we can't go outside. We can't stay in the building. We had just experienced the thing shaking like it was going to fall down. Who, who knew what was going to happen to it? So I said, I remember this is connected to a building on, on Park Place where the law department is located. Mm-hmm. Those buildings are next to each other. I bet there's a connection under, underground, underground to them. And um, the police commissioner said, yeah. Yes, yeah, so one of them did. So we went down. We went down. Now this is a group of about 40 people. Mm. But it's a very significant group because it's uh, – the police commissioner, the deputy police commissioner, and the chief of the police department. Mm-hmm. Those are the three most experienced people in the police department. Yeah. There's uh, three of my four deputy mayors. Um, if we had lost that group, the city would have lost two-thirds of its senior uh, management. Yeah. Um, so we go downstairs, and we try the different exits, and none of them open. Uh we go back upstairs thinking, well, maybe things have gotten better and things look much worse. Mm-hmm. Now you can see debris going through the streets. You can see like a like part of a desk or I don't know what the heck it was. You could just see this debris going through the street. Right. And all of a sudden, two guys come up to us that I think worked in the building. And they said, there's one chance that there's a door. They're all locked. But there's one that I think we can get open. Do you want to try again? And we said, Sure. So we go downstairs, and they open the door, and you could just a sigh of relief. You could hear everybody say, <sighs> we walk out into the lobby of Park, Park Place, and when we look outside, you sort of say to yourself, I just went from bad to worse, because mm. outside was a disaster. Right. And people were walking in the building cut. And one of my police, uh, uh, one of my deputy police commissioners who had been on my police detail and was a was a, a, a martial arts champion mm-hmm. he comes in looking frightened mm-hmm. and cut all right across his face and he said it's terrible out there yeah so we got to decide do we stay in the building or do we go outside and i talked it over with bernie and with denny and we decided it's the strangest decision. I mean, strange when I mean, you think of it in retrospect. 
we decided that if we went outside, we'd, we'd, we'd lose less people. Because if we stayed in the building and that building came down, we'd lose the entire top management of the city. Yeah. And at this point, other people had joined us. Mm -hmm. But if we go outside, we, we'll lose some people because they'll get hit, but we're not going to lose everybody. Mm -hmm. Were you guys worried at this point that the second tower was going to come down? Mm, didn't even think of it right away. Right. And didn't know the tower came down. Oh, right. You're still thinking it was the top. Uh, yeah, but, but uh, uh, in the back of my mind and everybody's mind is, this seems like an awful lot of damage for just the top of the building coming down. Mm. So we thought that maybe other parts were continuing to come mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I think then at some point, before we went outside, we were told that, 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 the, um, that the tower had come down. Entirely. Yeah, yeah but we know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I expected to see a stump. Mm -hmm. You know, with a lot of the building down, but I didn't, I, I never envisioned an implosion. Yeah. I envisioned it came down like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we did go outside. And I held a press conference and I told everyone to go north and get out of there and to remain calm that the police department, the fire department were all coordinated, which they were, uh, and that the rest of the city is being protected against any possible other attack mm -hmm. because uh, Bernie and I had dispatched about 150 units of the police department to those targets that I told you about. Mm -hmm. So we sent some to St. Patrick's, we sent some up to the Bronx, we sent some out to Brooklyn, the uh, Kennedy Airport, LaGuardia Airport, mm -hmm. the ones that are on that list. And we, and this, we had run this plan maybe 10 times mm -hmm. at, as um, either as, uh, as exercises or where we had terrorist threats that nobody knew about. Mm -hmm. um, so th this felt comfortable. We knew how to do this. Um, and then all of a sudden we get on the street, we walk about two blocks and I feel John grab me again and he starts running me up the block. And I said, John, what are you doing? And he said, look, and now we hear this noise. I look down and he said, I think the second building's coming down. And all of a sudden you see it, you see this thing appear in the, in the canyon, you know, between the buildings. It looks like it, you know, it looks like it has eyes or something. Yeah. And then it starts coming up like this. So we grabbed a lot of people. There was one man who had a hard time walking. And I said, Bernie, let him use your car. So Bernie took, put a, stuffed a bunch of people in his car and said, get them the hell out of here, civilians. Mm -hmm. And we continued to walk. And uh, the idea now was, where are we going to set up our command post? Mm -hmm. So uh, we thought of the first precinct, but they would probably have no power. We thought of the police department and called. They had no power. Mm -hmm. uh, we walked into a big hotel along the way and walked right out. Because when we walked in, the police commissioner, the fire commissioner, and I, we saw that the entire first two floors were all glass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and said, yeah, this could be a hell of a place. We're all glass. Right. Uh, and finally, we decided on the uh, police academy okay. because the police academy is up around 22nd street. Mm -hmm. It's out of the area, uh, but it's close enough so you can get there quickly. Mm -hmm. It had power and it's gigantic facility. It's a big facility and it had all the um, emergency communication equipment that we needed already there. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the way we passed a firehouse in the village and we decided, well, let's make some phone calls from here to make sure and we'll call the governor. And so we broke in 
to the firehouse because it had been locked. They were out at the fire. Mm. That firehouse lost 12 people. And it was one that I had been to a lot because when I was first mayor, I lost three firefighters from that firehouse. And we broke in and I called the governor. And when I got the governor on the phone, he said, thank God, we thought you were gone. Mm. I said, what do you mean? We thought you were dead. I said, oh, (laughs) that seemed kind of weird. Um, They actually had drawn up papers for uh, for the uh, emergency governance of the city if I was dead. Wow. My deputy mayor, Rudy Washington, was with the uh, governor, and he was helping him do it, which I'm, I'm not, I'm, that's what they should do. I'm yeah. Not, uh, but I, I actually didn't know that until much later. Right. That they actually, that it was that bad. And when he said it, it was a little startling. I knew we were in danger, but I didn't think people thought we were dead. <laughs> right. Um, and I probably probably didn't realize how long we were trapped because mm. I was so busy trying to figure a way out. It seemed like it went by very fast. Yeah. Um, and then the governor and I decided uh, to meet at the, I told him I was setting up a command post at the police academy and we decided to meet there and we made a decision that I think was very, very critical. And it's a decision that I, I uh, uh, lecture people about all the time in an emergency. Mm-hmm. We decided that until this emergency was over, we were going to be together constantly. We're going to put our two staffs together. Right. We're going to hold our meetings together. We're going to make our decisions together. And he said, I will join you at the police academy. And we'll, from now on, your staff and my staff will be joined at the hip. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he just recommended that or I recommended that, but we both immediately agreed to it. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that is because um, there's no time in an emergency for the, the staffs to fight with each other. Mm. And they inevitably will. Right. In an emergency, things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're all political. So then they blame someone else. So let's say something went wrong. The governor will be fine with it. I'll be fine with it. The president will be fine with it. But my staff will blame him or mm-hmm. his staff will blame me or Plus, you want things to get done like that. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't call Albany, get approval, then go to Washington. So they all came together. For the next month and a half, we ran our staff meetings together. He ran the state and I ran the city from our emergency management center, which then moved up to Pier 90-something or other. There, there are a lot of stories that are somewhat well-known in the last 22 years or so that you know are repeated every anniversary. So we know about some of these people that have died was is there a story that stands out to you that people don't know or someone that affected you yeah, that still kind of haunts sure. you I'll, or... I'll tell you one uh that isn't mentioned enough but it, because you don't know who he is uh, when i took the first group down first group of family members down to the world trade center which we didn't allow for about 10 days mm-hmm. and i did it by boat because at that point our our headquarters was up on the west side, right at the pier, uh, because we needed unlimited space. Mm-hmm. And we got a boat, and we came, went down, and I took uh, as many family members as I could. And um, uh, one person was there who had actually been in the building. She worked in the building, and her father was a firefighter and she worked for 
I think Morgan Stanley. And she said that, I said, what, what, you know, what, what happened in the building? Because Morgan Stanley got a lot of people out because of, a, of the head of security, uh, Rick Rescore, who uh, actually went around and uh, to every floor every, and told them to get out mm -hmm. and actually pushed them out. Uh, he never got out. He, he was the last one out, like the captain of the ship. Mm -hmm. So I knew that story. She said, but you don't know. I wish I could find out who this man is because he was standing by the elevator and he was helping people get on and pushing them in and pushing them in. And I was one of the last people pushed in. And I said, well, you, you come in now. And he said, no, no, no. Uh, uh, let's get the young people in. I've already had my life. Mm -hmm. Wow. And she said, when I got down, as I was coming down, the building came down. She said, and that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. I think about it every night. Yeah. I could see his face saying, I've had my life. You people are young. You go first. I'll yeah. get out. Don't worry. So do you do something on every anniversary that is special to you? Yeah. Uh, well, a couple of things. I go to the ceremony mm -hmm. all the time. I go to church. I go to the ceremony. Um, and I get together with my, with my people mm -hmm. at night. And, uh, and then, uh, then many other things, depending on who needs me or, yeah. uh, I do something with the tunnel, the towers, mm -hmm. uh, every year. Um, but I get together at night with the people that I survive with. Yeah. And, um, it's very, I think it's very important to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I try, and I tried afterwards very, very hard to get the right treatment and the right help. Mm -hmm. For a lot of my people, some of some of whom still resist it, yeah, because of macho. But the ones who have gotten it have really come through it really well. Did you get treatment for yourself? No, but I think I did by talking about it so much. Yeah, I mean, and by uh, by getting it for them, I learned an awful lot about what the therapy is and how it works. And, yeah, and an awful lot of it is really talking about it. Yeah, so it's interesting because I had to go to therapy to deal with it way after I couldn't at the beginning, but it was very hard to speak to somebody who hadn't gone through it. And even when I watch, um, you know, horrible things that happen, um, buildings coming down, children being shot, whatever it is, unless you're part of it, you're just watching, you're from the outside looking in, and it's hard to really feel the pain yes. that people yeah, go yeah. through. And that's why those groups are so important. Yeah. And so for me, talking about it is good, but it's interesting. I still feel the emotions like it's yesterday. Yep. If I get into it, it's like that. I have a very hard time to this day going past that part of town. Yeah. And my son lives down there now, oh. lives a few blocks south. Yeah. In fact, uh, in the days afterwards, I was told nobody's ever going to go back there. Mm. Now there are three times more people living there. Yeah. But it's very hard. Uh, and sometimes I'll take a circuitous route so I don't have to pass it. Mm. And I've only been to the museum twice. And both times, uh, because I had to go, the opening, yep. and then I took President Obama through it. Wow. And otherwise, when people want to go to the museum, I make arrangements for them and send somebody else. Yeah. That's a hard museum to walk through. I can't, through. I can't, I can't, um, and I've never watched a movie about it straight through. You Even haven't. the documentaries I've been in. Wow. Uh, I watched part of them and I put it off. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so I just want to tell you a little bit because my... If you were, I don't know if you remember, two days later, a, a Associated remember. Press um, gentleman took a photo of me. I was at Bellevue looking for my fiance, and just to sort of give you I, a I picture. Do, I, I do remember. 
I was 26 years old. I had just gotten engaged to who I thought was the love of my life. He was 32. His name's Andy O'Grady. And just saying his name makes me cry. Sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Um, but I lost everything. And going to um, Bellevue that day, I remember looking on the computer and seeing that he might have been taken there. And so with hundreds of other people, I'm standing in line. And it was interesting because, you know, everybody made flyers. And I don't know why we did that. It was like what everybody did, right? right. So I got the, the most recent photo that I had. Right. And I was laughing because I was like, oh, God, he would hate this photo, right? But I picked the photo because I loved his smile. And I just went where I heard that he was. And you're talking to the people in front of you and behind you, listening to their story. And each one was worse than the other. And it's mothers crying and, and children crying, looking for their parents. And it was just awful. And when I got to the front of the line, they checked his name and said he wasn't there. And there was a bunch of, sorry, my God. No, that's all right. There was a bunch of um, reporters and they said, just tell us about Andy. I thought it was such a great way to let people know who he was. And that, but looking back, that's what I thought. But as a 26 year old girl, I was like, you have to help me. I don't know what else to do. I've lost my whole future, my whole life. And it was, as a young girl, the worst thing that I've ever been through that of I can course. imagine being through. And people don't understand how that affected people's lives. And it changes the trajectory of who you are um, at that age and probably anyone who went through it. But it was an awful well, it thing. It changed the trajectory of the country. Yeah. And right. the world. Yeah. I mean, and it was a... It was a it was an unreal event in terms of uh, being able to describe the magnitude of it. Yeah. It's one of the events. Uh, so, I mean, one of the ways to measure the magnitude of it, it's one of those events where everybody remembers where they were when of it happened. Of course. Uh, I'm sure this happens to you when you tell them you were involved. In mm -hmm. it. But people almost feel compelled to tell you. People have come up to me in airports and train stations and stop me because yeah. they want me to know where they were. Right. I don't know. I don't know them. Right. They'll tell me, you know, I was in uh, grammar school at the time and the teacher took us all out of class and, or someone will say, I was uh, at my desk and um, not, not even somebody involved in it. Right. I was at my desk and we all got, and we all had to leave. And, and it's the uh, way they connect to that you know, day. Or then people will come up to you who were connected to it. You know, yeah. Uh, right. Right. The, the ones who were talking to somebody in the mm -hmm. building or, yeah. and then I also lost, um, uh, I mean, that afternoon when I had the second press conference, um, I was asked, "Did I did I uh, uh, did I hear the tape of the Solicitor General and his wife talking on the phone?" Mm -hmm. That was the plane that went into the Pentagon, and I said, "No, I haven't had time to hear anything." And I said, well, "The Solicitor General? Oh yeah, Barbara. Barbara, his wife died. One of my best friends." Wow. They'd been in my office five days earlier. Yeah. And I'll tell you that I had, to, I had to stop and go behind the governor so I didn't cry. Because the deaths that I had heard about up until then, I expected. Mm -hmm. I expected. I knew, I knew what happened. And by the time it was an hour later, I was already in a zone yeah. of playing mayor. Right? right, right. But when they hit me with somebody I would never have thought of dying in that plane it was like oh my god yeah and then i would say to myself you can't feel this now mm -hmm. you gotta feel it later yeah that's right you gotta feel it you gotta you gotta stop it and you gotta just concentrate you gotta you gotta get this out of your mind because you're not gonna make the right decisions if you get all emotional so right get it out and 
Think about it later. That's right. And that day I wore, I was working at Bloomberg News. That day I worked until five o'clock. I didn't want to go home. And I didn't really shed a tear until a month later when I was in the shower and I was by myself and people had stopped coming around. Like you're so surrounded by people at the beginning, right? But then they go back to their lives and you don't, your life is the same, you know? So I think that's when it really hit me in it and it changed my life. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on how, how you feel New York is doing today as opposed to back then. I think New York is doing terrible today. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it breaks my heart. Somebody came up to me about three weeks ago. A man came up to me and he said to me, Mayor, you know, they've ruined everything you did. Hmm. And I thought he was being nasty. And I thought he was like, and I looked at him and I could see that like, almost like a little tear in his eye. And I said, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I, I didn't think it could be done. I mean, we, we really had, um, I left it to Mike. He improved it. We had 20 years of, the best city in America. Yeah. With any doubt about it, we were the best city in America for mm-hmm. 20 years. People would come here to learn how to do things. Yeah. Uh, when, when I was going through um, September 11, Governor Bush and uh, Mayor Daley sent their people here to watch how we handled the emergency because they believed we did it so well. Yeah. And then I went, they were nice enough to invite me to show me what they did. So when I see their emergencies, I feel like, oh, we helped them or mm-hmm. um, we helped. People get in other places, get people off welfare, and we help them find better ways to clean the streets. And uh, mm-hmm. we were sort of the leading city. Yeah. And Mike kept it that way. And now all of a sudden, uh, it almost as if they can't do anything right. Right. And uh, uh, incredibly stupid decisions they made, like mm-hmm. you know the mayor announcing we're a sanctuary city and inviting everybody here. Mm-hmm. And now he's all upset. There's so many people here. Right. Well, he invited them here. Yeah. And he, he decided they could uh, have health care. And he decided they could go to college. And he decided that <laughs> he decided they can vote. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, why wouldn't they come here? Yeah. And now he's overwhelmed with 70, 80,000 people that he doesn't have the money to take care of the space. Yeah. And he's still doing things like, we'll get you a job, which means even more people will come here. Right. And if, they're all illegal. If you were mayor right now, is there one thing that you would focus on or do specifically? I'd get him the hell out of here. I mean, they don't. They don't. They don't belong here. Yeah. And uh, the reality. The reality is, this is the federal government's problem. And the first time somebody bust uh, illegals to my city, I bust them right to Kamala Harris. Yeah. Uh, there's a big uh, naval observatory. The vice president lives there. I've been there. She. He, she's got plenty of room there. She could have taken care of the first ten thousand. Mm-hmm. And then they, then they would stop. Right. And and plus, I'd be on the. I'd be on television every night. Saying if the president doesn't close the border, we should impeach him. Mm. Uh, the, uh, this is all Biden. I mean, he's, he's he in, at the Democratic convention in 2020. He told the illegals to surge over the border. He told them to surge. Mm-hmm. He does nothing at the border to stop them. The only people that are checking on them and who they are are the Mexican cartels. We've got people dying of fentanyl in the United States, like at the rate of 100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Those are wartime numbers. Yeah. We're being invaded and they're killing us. And the president is in some kind of a demented state doing nothing about it. And, and our mayor in New York invited him to come here, but never will say Biden closed the damn border mm. because he's a Democrat before he's a mayor. Interesting. 
All right. My last question on this topic is um, your thought on crime in the city, specifically the subways. I mean, even as recently as Sunday, another woman was thrown into the subway and is now paralyzed from that. Yeah, it's down. like deja vu. Yogi Berra had an expression, deja vu all over again. Yeah. It's like I'm living in the 1970s and 1980s before I was mayor. Do you take the subway? No, I don't take the subway. Wow. Uh, but I haven't taken the subway in years. Uh, I don't like the noise. Right. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a thought on this latest major issue with- Yeah, um, the man should get a medal. The man should get a medal. I, if I were the mayor, I'd have brought him to City Hall and given him a, a, an award. Right. I would have said, uh, that was an awfully brave thing you did. You have no idea if you would have gotten killed. Yeah. Uh, th th this idea, like Sharpton gets up and says he was being peaceful. What a lie. I mean, I don't know what kind of minister Sharpton is anyway. He's a minister who lies. Mm -hmm. But- uh, he was being peaceful. He walked on the train, yelling and screaming, threatening people, yeah. throwing garbage at them, telling, tell, telling them basically he was going to kill them. Mm -hmm. And then he took his jacket off and threw it on the ground. The uh, minute he took that jacket off, you had to say to yourself, he's, now he's going to kill somebody. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the sergeant, Marine sergeant, acted exactly when he should. When that jacket came off, that's the time to stop him. Because if you wait... You're going to stop him after he kills somebody. Yeah, right. Uh, I can't imagine that there's a person on that train, that subway, that doesn't appreciate what he did. I mean, the pe people came forward who had been beaten up by this guy and said, I wish Penny was there yeah, when I got fast. beaten up. Mm -hmm. The guy has 45 arrests, so I multiply it by 10. Mm. You don't get arrested for all the crimes you commit. Yeah, Particularly yeah. a guy like that. Mm -hmm. And every time he got arrested, they put him back out anyway because of Cuomo and Hochul. And Adams and and this crazy DA we have, mm -hmm. who thinks criminals should be on the street, hurting us. Mm -hmm. So he did what has to be done in a city in which we basically empower criminals and put them on the street. Mm -hmm. We have a criminal-friendly district attorney. We have a mayor whose head is somewhere else other than in the job of being mayor. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he did he did what should have been done protect people I mean, the city should be doing it yeah but the city's not doing it somebody's got to do it and the guy is a marine he's trained to protect people yeah and why they're torturing him i have no idea mm. I mean, all it's going to do is just deter other people maybe you're on a subway or i'm on a subway mm -hmm. and uh, the next guy sits back and says gee i don't know uh, if i get involved I, first of all i might get killed right if I get involved, if I don't get killed, I might go to jail. Now, who's going to come forward except a superhero? Right. Uh, I, I have no idea why we didn't applaud what he did. The mayor originally was very good. Mm. But now he's doing a whole thing with the family. And you see that the uh, the, the uncle who was the spokesman just got arrested himself. Yeah, yeah. So when the family does all this stuff about him, I also say, why the hell weren't you taking care of him? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the system failed him. Well, you didn't do a pretty, you didn't do much of a job either. Yeah, I mean, the guy goes into this this rehab program and he checks himself out. How come you don't go get him and put him back in? Yeah, mental health crisis is such a big issue. Mental health crisis is is an issue, but there's also accountability. Yeah, that's true. And don't don't go start blaming this poor guy who acted that way. Yeah. When I can't imagine you as a family did what you should, or otherwise you wouldn't be on the street. Right. 
Well, you're a busy man. I know you have places to be. I'm just going to do a quick lightning round with you to lighten the mood for one second, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Um, okay. Favorite restaurant in New York? Fresco. What TV show are you binging right now? I'm rewatching The Tudors. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, what was your favorite Tina Turner song? Gosh, I don't remember. Okay. What's love got to do with it? Did you like that one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your favorite city and why? You mean other than New York? Sure. Well, New York's my favorite city. There's okay. any doubt about it. I debated the mayor of London, who then became the prime minister, about which city is better, New York or London. And I won based on the restaurants. Mm, right. <laughs> uh, there's nothing compares to New York. Okay. It's a, New York is a, is a, a, a thing unto itself. What does success mean to you? Helping people and feeling feeling a sense that you made a made a difference. What does failure mean to you? Failing to do that. Do you know what Scandaval is? <laughs> In uh, do you know who Tom Sandoval is? Sandoval. Have you heard these names? These are people in reality TV. It's the biggest scandal no, I don't watch in America reality. right now. I don't watch reality TV <laughs> okay, much. Okay, that's a like good I, I know all those uh, housewife things, and I've met some of them, and they come up to me and say, I'm on the Housewives of Mars or whatever. <laughs> and I say, gee, I don't know. Uh, that's nice. Okay. That's really good. It doesn't impress you, then. No, the reality shows don't. Okay. Um, what are you doing right now that we should be aware of, which we look for from you in the future? Well, I'm building. I'm building uh, uh, I'm building my own channel, mm. and we're we're uh, on now. We're up to uh, we're up to really good numbers, half a million. Uh, pretty soon, we're going to expand even further. I, I I really feel that we've got to create uh, as many First Amendment uh, respecting media organizations as possible. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the middle of creating one online. Uh, plus, here on ABC, I get a chance. I, I feel like I give people news that's censored, mm -hmm. that's suppressed. Um, you know, for example, yesterday, uh, uh, Biden said that Pelosi helped get us through the Great Depression. Now, that's insane. Uh, recently, he said he gave his uncle the Purple Heart when he was vice president in mm -hmm. the White House. His uncle was dead for seven years before he was in the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, so they don't tell people that. Well, the American people should be informed that their president is non compass menace. Mm -hmm. President of the United States is losing his brain and doesn't know sometimes where the hell he is. When he went to Cambodia, he thought he was greeting the president of Colombia. Mm. Uh, those are things that we're entitled to know because a country is entitled to have a president who, who knows what they're doing and knows who they are and knows where they are. Mm. And Biden has been. For some reason, the crooked press in this country takes on the mission of covering up everything for him. He's also a massive criminal. Okay. 30 years of taking millions of dollars. I have it all in my apartment mm. <laughs> on the hard drive. And he's sitting in the White House. He's obviously in some pretty late stage of senility. Mm -hmm. And he's a 30-year serial criminal. And uh, I think he's got to be brought to justice. And last question, uh, speaking of presidents at the moment, um, DeSantis came out today or is coming out now uh, on Twitter with Elon Musk, as you know, um, announcing his presidential bid. 
What do you think of um, the way he's doing it? Well, first of all, I like the way he's doing it because I'm on Twitter. Okay. And I was the first one to do, I think, a live show on Twitter. And we're, we've got tremendous numbers. So all this is going to do is help us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, I actually I put that aside. I think it was the uh, it, you, you got you have to look at it from DeSantis's point of view. He's far behind. Mm. And so when you're far behind, you got to throw a curveball. Nobody's going to pay attention to just a regular announcement. So I think it was very it was very smart to do it that way. Even though you say, well, it's only a limited audience, it's still millions of people. Second. If he doesn't do that, he doesn't get like one of America, American, America's heroes right now sitting next to him. Right. Particularly, okay. particularly for the right. I mean, I think Musk is probably the second most popular person among Republicans right now. Mm -hmm. Trump is the most popular, mm -hmm. 70%. But Musk is probably the second. And to have him sitting next to you is worth a lot mm -hmm. at an announcement. So you might as well go on his channel and do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but right now, I think it's, it's probably not doable. I, I don't think he can catch Trump. You don't. And I, I, I have a funny personal feeling about it because I do know that Trump made him governor. Mm -hmm. Not only did he make him governor, he sent me there to help him, mm. ordered me to go there, even though I was involved in defending him at the time. Um, and I'm Italian <laughs> and loyalty is very important. Mm -hmm. And so was he. DeSantis. In fact, his family comes from the same town in Italy as my family mm. uh, in, Aval in Avellino, mm -hmm. Gesualdo. Very few people come from that town. And I don't understand it. The man made you. You're a young man. He's an older man. Let him have his chance. Let him have his chance to redeem himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he left the country in great shape. Mm -hmm. This crook who's demented took over and ruined the country. The country's ruined right now. Uh, got people killed that shouldn't be killed. No, none of those people in Ukraine be dead if Trump had remained president. Mm -hmm. Putin would have invaded Ukraine if Trump were president. Not in a million years. Right. Uh, so all those people in Ukraine would now be alive if we hadn't made that mistake. Uh, how about the people in Afghanistan that got killed because of him? Mm -hmm. uh, and how about the people all over America that are getting killed because he's got Soros district attorneys letting criminals go free. Mm -hmm. Soros is the biggest contributor to those district attorneys, to Black Lives Matter, to Antifa, and to Joe Biden. So we don't, we can't take a chance on not winning the next election. Mm -hmm. or we may not, we, we may not have the America that we love if we have it right now. Right, right. And lastly, I just want to throw this in there. Do you feel misunderstood? And if you do, what do you think is the most misunderstood? Of course I feel misunderstood. All the people who attack me have no idea what a decent, wonderful, nice person I am. <laughs> and that I'm thoroughly honest that I have, uh, I, I mean, they've accused me of every crime imaginable. They've investigated me more thoroughly than just about anybody with Donald Trump. 20, they investigated 20 years of my business activities. They took everything I have. They didn't find anything. They couldn't even make anything up. So I wish they would stop uh, these ridiculous attacks. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Somebody, somebody just said that I, when I wake up in the morning, I drink scotch. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> how could I have accomplished what I accomplished? I was an alcoholic. I was going to say, how would you get through that? I mean, uh, <laughs> an alcoholic uh, destroyed the mafia. An alcoholic was able to take over the Teamsters Union and, and change it. Mm -hmm. 
an alcoholic uh, led the city on September 11, or reduced crime more than any mayor in the history of the city or any city ever. Mm-hmm. Nobody comes close to the crime reduction that I did. There's nobody. There's no mayor in history that ever reduced crime by 60 percent, and no mayor ever saved more black lives than I did, because mm-hmm. most of the lives saved by that were black. So. Um, I don't mind if you politically oppose me. My political views are conservative and Republican. Mm-hmm. And I respect people who are liberal and Democrat. I don't respect people who lie about me and uh, get so insane about it that they have to personally attack you. And it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. I, I have read, I've read the most ridiculous things about me mm-hmm. uh, that, that have nothing to do with who I am. Right. And the media has such power with narrating a story for someone and the public's appetite for that feeds on it and feeds on it and makes it bigger and bigger. And some, a lot of times people do sometimes not know it how to sometimes it fact from fiction. Sometimes it hurt, hurts me. Sometimes it hurts me because there are things that are really important to me. My reputation as a lawyer is very important to me. And the Bar Association of this city, which is left of left of left and woke yeah. to, a, to an ultra extent, uh, suspended me because I'm a danger of causing a riot. It's absurd. I had nothing to do with that riot. In fact, a judge, an Obama judge, dismissed me from a case saying that. Mm. But the Bar Association still refuses to allow me to practice my profession because they hate Trump. Mm-hmm. The, the hatred of Trump is a sickness. And then they go after his lawyers, his friends. His, they try to destroy you. They don't just try to oppose you. They try to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Took away my law practice. They try to get me fired here all the time. Uh, that's why I started my own, uh, my own network, network, my own channel, because <laughs> they can't stop me and I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to tell the truth. Otherwise, the worst thing would happen. I wouldn't respect myself. Right. Right. So if people want to hear more from you, they can listen to you. Oh, they can listen to me on RudyGiulianiCS.com. Okay. They can go right there and they can get everything. They can subscribe. And then I'm on wabcradio.com mm-hmm. every day and on Sundays. And then they can go to Twitter and they can get me eight o'clock at night, every night. They can also get me on YouTube and mm-hmm. any of the social media, eight o'clock at night. Great. I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. It was such a Thank pleasure. You, and I wish you the best. I wish you the best too. Thank you so much for listening to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. Please be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a five-star rating and review. You can support the show by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. Do you have ideas for the show or want to reach out? Email us at info misunderstoodpodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled M-I-S-S understood. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Misunderstood.